Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussions, news, and interviews, presenting the film scene with Ileana Douglas. Ileana is an actress, writer, author, and film historian with a need to discuss movies that borders on obsession. You'll learn the history of movies one great story at a time. The film scene is the deep cuts of movie podcasts, featuring movies we love by the people who made them. And now, Ileana Douglas. Hello, everyone. It's Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the film scene. Okay, fasten your seatbelts, everyone. (laughs) We have in our studio, we're devoting our entire time to speak to Ruta Lee, who was born in Quebec to Lithuanian parents. She moved to California. She worked as a cashier and usher at, just like Carol Burnett, uh, and a candy girl at Grauman's Theater starred in uh, her first show, George Burns and the Gracie Allen Show, and from there was in so many movies, including the Academy Award-nominated musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, billed as, which we're going to get to, Rita uh, Ruta Kilmonis, and uh, in other films include Anything Goes Funny Face, Witness for the Prosecution, and Marjorie Mars. Morning, I can't speak. <laughs> Morning, Morning Star. Morning Star. <laughs> the bite is. And over 112 television shows, uh, musical theater. She's going to be an author. You're in the middle of writing that book. Uh, let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, Ruta Lee. Wow, what an opening. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're the best. The The first question I have to ask you now, uh, Ruta and I have have uh, worked together before. We were on the TCM cruise. You have uh, the most amazing amount of energy, and you're so upbeat about show business. And I really, that's the same. I just love it. I mean, I, you know, how do you maintain just that that love of, you know, the grease paint? I guess because I've never experienced anything that resembles the sleazy side of it. Uh Uh-huh. And there's a sleazy side to everything, yes. you know. But I think, like you, uh, I have a love for the industry, mm-hmm. and the industry seems to love back, which is awfully nice when that happens. And when you have an audience the way you do, that kind of is hangs in there with you and supports you and turns the dial to you or turns the knob or mm-hmm. pays the ticket to, to see you, what a blessing that is. That's mm-hmm. that's the dear Lord sending down his imprimatur yes. on keep doing what you're doing, kid. You're doing something right. And I think that part of that, though, and I think you recognize this as well as I, is that somewhere down the line of a career, of a life, never mind a career, if it's going at all well for you, you got to pay some of it back. Mm-hmm. Or, if you're smart, you'll pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not wait for God to tap you on the shoulder and say, "Yes, get your ass in there, we have to do something. <laughs> so I want to go back to a, uh, your first uh, official job, which you were fired from, at the, being an <laughs> usher. You were an usher at the famous Grauman's Chinese Theater. I was. Now the TLC Theater. I was going to Hollywood High. Right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And during the summer, I got a job. I needed to make some extra money so that I could buy padded bras or whatever one, one wanted in those days. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I got a job as an usherette, and I was in my glory, Ileana, standing at the top of the aisle with a flashlight. I mean, most of our audience is too frigging young to know what an usherette even was right. or an usher, but we literally saw people to their seats. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I could stand at the top of the aisle and watch the movie queens, Betty Grable, June Haver, uh, Mitzi Gaynor, Ethel Merman, doing their numbers on that screen, and I'd stand there and say, oh, please, God, please, 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 let me do this. Let mm-hmm. me do this someday. Well, I was very happy there, but then the candy girl got sick, so I got moved up mm-hmm. and probably got $2 more a week <laughs> to be the candy girl. Now, I have to tell you, Eliana, math has never been my long suit. Uh-huh. I mean, I am terrible in math. But I could deal with that because everything was 10 cents, 15 cents, 25 cents, 50 cents. Could deal with that. Mm-hmm. I did very well. And plus, when I wasn't selling popcorn, I could go over and hold the door open and watch the movies, right? Right. Well, one night, the cashier in the box office got sick. And I got promoted to cashier. And I said, but, but, but I can't, I can't. They said, look, it's very easy. Somebody gives you a $5 bill, you punch in a dollar ninety-eight twice, and it'll get, and then $5, and it'll give you the right change. Mm-hmm. Well, long story short, we were $40 short that night. Uh-oh. And I <laughs> got fired. Oh, no. And I said to the general manager, I didn't steal the money. I told you I wasn't good in math, and you're going to be sorry because one of these days my hand and footprints are going to be here, and I'll show you. Well, talk about God working in mysterious ways. My star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is directly in front of the box office of Grauman's Chinese Theater. Wow. Ta-da! That is amazing. That's my fantasy. I want to get... I I think I'd rather get a star on Hollywood Boulevard than an Oscar. That's my favorite. I always say it's my favorite old-time show busy You know, that's an interesting thought. It's permanent. It's, you know, people forget... You win an Oscar. They sure do. But How quickly they tourists forget. walk over and so on and so I, forth. I always get a thrill every time when I walk by and I see the certain names. It makes you think of the yeah. person. You hey, know. Uh, podcast listeners and yes. viewers, get if you if you go to my star. <laughs> Take a little polish cloth with you and clean it up, or right? get some of the gum off. Damn, that makes me so angry that we Americans are such slobs and spit gum out all over the street everywhere. Yes, clean rudest star, for goodness sakes. <laughs> um, so then after you were fired, you got, no, you've, you, I mean, you were so young. When oh, you yeah, your first I was job, probably 15, like 15. Then, yeah, 14, 15. And so your first job was working uh, for Bur- Burns and Allen The first job show. I got Literally paid first for. Job. Okay. You know, it's the, it's what got me my SAG card, Screen uh-huh. Actors Guild card. Wow. Uh, and, and to have been appreciated and respected by George Burns and Gracie Allen. Mm-hmm. Woo, it still sends kind of a, a chill right. down my spine, you know. And he became kind of a fan that kept following me. And then when I became a big muckamuck with the Thalians, you know, and mm-hmm. was doing stuff, he would come and sit at my table. Uh-huh. You know, he'd come as as yeah. my guest. He'd pay, but he'd come to sit at my table. And I thought, oh, I'm blessed, you know, to have that. 
did you feel because we were talking about this before the show i spent my night watching you know jerry lewis and sophie tucker who it was a <laughs> famous vaudevillian and and george burns burns and allen again literally one step away from vaudeville precisely and out of vaudeville they did some early movies yes and of course other theater engagements you know the mm -hmm. way big theaters used to have stars come in between movies mm -hmm. which was kind of amazing uh well frank sinatra did that yes <laughs> but i feel like it was such a part of uh, their dynasty to you know have respect for other acts and when you said Yes. taking care of you and looking after you and uh, the, I love that idea I don't know if we still have that but I, I don't know that we do either and I also respect it very much and I think it came from the early days of any kind of theater when it was Gaslights and then Vaudeville wow. that there was this need to do for people in our industry who are, maybe aren't doing quite as well as we are right. maybe are really eating at horn and hardot and making soup out of ketchup and hot water mm -hmm. you know horn and hardot boy there there's a name you won't <laughs> We're know gonna need footnotes for, <laughs> for for all of you it was a place in new york that i wish still existed where there were little glass doors and behind yes. it was a sandwich a piece of pie a strudel uh, whatever and you put the coins in and got the the thing out but there was always ketchup on the table and there was always hot water for tea. Mm -hmm. And all actors used to go in and eat the free saltines and make tomato soup out of ketchup <laughs> and hot water. That that sustained a lot of poor Broadway actors who yeah. didn't have a pot to pee in, you know. I bet they did. <laughs> um now another show that you did around this time I thought was fascinating. I mean, we're gonna get to you did hundreds of television shows, but you, over twenty five hundred shows. I know, and these were, again, in the days, you know, we shoot eight episodes, yeah. and now yeah. they, they did, you know, 39 episodes. Yes. But you worked, I was surprised to learn, you worked on The Adventures of Superman. Yes, it was one of the early shows that I did. Some people think it was my first, but I don't think so, because it was Burns and Allen that got me my union right. card. And, and I almost got fired on that Superman episode because <laughs> I was supposed to do the jitterbug or something with yeah. a dance partner. And I said, why don't we rehearse this while nobody is here? They've gone to lunch. Yes. And I uh, looked for the, the gramophone, you know, yeah. <laughs> the the record player, and the wasn't plugged in. So I reached down and plugged it in. Well, one of the union electricians said, little girl, you don't do that. You're going to get fired if you do that. Wow. I didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch. And so and and so you worked with George Reeves. Mm -hmm. were, were I mean were you shocked when he was found? I mean that's such a mysterious that was quite still a, a mystery bit later than after you know, the time yep. I worked with him. But he lived if I'm not mistaken up in Laurel Canyon where yes. I live. And so that's why I was aware of that, but uh did they ever find who did it? No, they've never. It's oh, a mystery. Oh, that's the next thing we're going to talk about. We'll we'll go do detective work. Yeah. Well, I'm always fascinated. I am by too. Hollywood, you know, mysteries. Oh like, yes, yes. Remember the famous uh, Thelma Todd? <gasps> yes. Whatever. There's a there's quite a few. Thelma Todd again in our series of and they never found that person either. She was did they? work with the Marx Brothers and yeah. yeah. Hmm. 
she made she had a a nightclub out by the beach. Yes. The that's another thing. Were you part of the I'm always fascinated about the beginnings of Malibu and Malibu society and people going out there and having well, little bungalows Well, I just remember that when I was a kid, somebody that was working in a little theater, there was the the gallery stage where I was working mm-hmm. when I got the job with Burns and Allen. Uh, I was in high school at the time and there was the Players Ring which was a rather successful small Hollywood theater and a lot of very successful people mm-hmm. either started there or worked there or did something there. And um, where was I going with this? I had something so important to tell oh, you. Oh, we were talking about... Uh, Malibu. 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 Yeah. One of the kids that worked in the theater with me bought a house, a little frame house on mm-hmm. stilts kind of, on the beach in Malibu for 35 thousand dollars <laughs> you couldn't buy a brick for thirty five thousand dollars anymore in malibu that is amazing. and i stop and think about the idiocy well of course the house that i now own and live in mm-hmm. was originally purchased by my parents and they bought this property six acres in the middle of laurel canyon of course wow. those six acres go uphill you know right but nevertheless, bridle paths, a, a, a stable, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff on it for $65,000, which was more money than they ever dreamed of having. Wow. So everything that they sold in Montreal to come mm-hmm. here, they put into that house and then made it work all through the years. It was later, or it was at one point, lived in by Rita Hayworth and Orson Welles. Wow. wow. And so I keep rubbing my ass on the walls, assuming <laughs> the glamour will come off onto me. Or some ghosts. <laughs> yes. But but I wouldn't dream of selling that house now for under $15 million. Oh, Wow. Now that goes to show you what real estate does. Yes. So if you're not in show business or you're yes. not successful in show business, take every penny you've got and put it into real estate. <laughs> yep. Like Bob Hope. He that's what, yeah. what he did. Um okay, I want to get to so many of these great movies. We've got to get to Seven Brides, which Oh, what an experience. Which I heard you say was which I totally agree with, was one of the few times you actually auditioned for something and got mm-hmm. the part cuz normally as we know, you you could have in a thousand auditions, but usually the way you get the part is just being in the right place at the right time. At the of right course. time. Of course. Uh but you auditioned for that and uh I did, and I don't know whether it was my audition that was good, or whether it was my mother on her knees in the church across the street <laughs> praying for me to get it. Uh, maybe it was a combination of both. God yes. took pity and, and made me do something right. And, of course, what what I did that was right, when I was asked by Michael Kidd to do a little something, mm-hmm. uh, I did my balletic stuff, you know, because that's what I had been doing. And he said, okay, that's fine and good. Could you do a little sort of jazz thing? And mm-hmm. I tried a little jazz stuff. And Stanley Donan, of course, was there. He was yes. the, the director. And then he said, can you do something folksy? Well, hell, can I do something folksy? I'm Lithuanian. <laughs> if there's one thing I can do, it's a damn good polka, you know. <laughs> so I polkaed up a storm and son of a gun. There I was, teamed with Matt Maddox, who was only one of the most brilliant dancers. Yes. And I had just seen him in a show downtown, and I thought he was the sexiest thing I'd ever seen on the stage. Mm -hmm. And the fact that these 
fabulous dancers. They were the best dancers in America that were in that show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can't say that uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Richards was a great dancer, but he was good looking, so mm -hmm. they made it work. But really good dancers, and I found myself at the bar every morning. When I say bar, I mean B-A-R-R-E, the French ballet yes. bar, taking the class, a warm-up class every day that uh, mm -hmm. our, our uh, choreographer would do. I'd say, what am I doing here? I, I mean, I'm a little kid. I'm 16 or 17 years old. These mm -hmm. are real professionals. What the hell am I doing here? How did I get this? And I learned something during that show, and that is that you don't have to be all that perfect mm -hmm. technically. You just have to sell it like you are. Right. Your your face and your your arms and your body <laughs> language. Forget the perfect little steps that don't show under the damn skirt anyway. Right. Know? Just look like you're having. Just look like you're having a good time. A great time. And you said something else interesting. That while you were filming, they were simultaneously they were filming Brigadoon, and mm -hmm. the studio's expectations were that Brigadoon was going to be the big hit. Oh, all the money went into Brigadoon. Seven Brides was a little also in the running, our, you know, a cute little film that we got. And I think eventually they woke up to the fact that they had something very special. Yes. To have this kind of butch, fabulous approach for the men in dancing. Ballet dancers were doing this fabulous stuff. Right. Not Nancy Acrobatic, stuff, you know. Yeah. Oh, and so good, so macho. Right. And they woke up to the fact that America was really going to like this. And you know, Ileana, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. They came to all of us after the the shooting and said, "We're going to put a little money into putting everybody out on a big PR campaign. Mm -hmm. So we're taking all the brides and breaking up uh, the country and sending you to different parts of the country. So I got from the Great Divide West. And the people in the PR department came to me and said, Ruta, you are never going to be a movie star with a name like Ruta Kilmonis. <laughs> <laughs> they may have a point. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we kick around a lot of names. Everybody threw something in the hat and hopper, and I'm waiting. And somebody yeah. said, Ruta Lee. And I, I insisted on keeping the Ruta, which was unheard of, because it's a national symbol of Lithuania, the, the Ruta plant. Mm -hmm. And I said, Ruta Lee. Well, the diminutive in Russian, in Lithuanian, in Polish, in Yiddish, and in anything is Rutele. Mm -hmm. Rutele or Rutele. Mm -hmm. So I said, Rudali, Rutale, that sounds good to me. That's fine. So I became Rudali. And I did everything that you do, as you well know, when you yes. have to go out and PR a picture. You are milking a cow in a country's <laughs> thing. You're, you're chewing uh, tobacco anymore, with, the, but... with the baseball players. Yes. You're uh, standing on a street in uh, San Diego in a rainstorm in a bathing suit. Why? Because it'll make, you know, make pages, make, yes. make space. And then they gave me all of Canada to do. Because mm -hmm. why? Because I came from Canada originally. And so I got all of Canada, and everything is rudely doing this, rudely doing that, rudely mm -hmm. doing that. Somebody forgot to mention it to the person that did the credits on the film. Oh. And it came out, Ruta Kilmonis. So you know, 
all those people in Saskatchewan are saying, who was that girl that said she was in the movie? <laughs> Where's Ruta Kilmonis? Isn't that something? But, boy, did that ever stand me in good stead. Again, God and serendipity working together. Mm -hmm. When I went to the Soviet Union, big long story about yes. my grandmother. We'll go into that later. Everybody in Lithuania was so thrilled that Seven Brides, which they ran every 15 minutes, right. had Ruta Kilmonis, a good Lithuanian girl. In Isn't that interesting? Yes, that's wonderful. Now, uh, did you I was going to ask, you know, I would guess that your parents, who are, of course, Lithuanian immigrants, were they excited and supportive about the idea of you pursuing an industry that's not a traditional sort of you know, blue-collar American bootstraps type of career. Very interesting in that my mother and father were very, very poor peasant stock in Lithuania. And why their families got deported to Siberia, somebody is going to have to explain to me someday. <laughs> but, I mean, they were poor. She carried her shoes mm -hmm. to church on Sunday wow. because they had to be passed down to the next girl. And they sort of said, my mother was very smart. She never went past the third grade, but she had real street smarts and country smarts. Mm. And she thought, let's get out of Lithuania. Let's go to America, where we know the streets are paved with gold. They tried to get into the United States, but the quotas were already closed. This was like 28, 29. So my father could get into Canada by signing up to work for a year in the wheat fields in Saskatchewan, wow. which he did, and he saved his money, and he then brought my mother over where I was born. My mother heard from the woman that ran the kindergarten, Mrs. Jackson, to whom I will be grateful till the day I die, because she's the one that said to my mother, your child is very different from the rest of the children that I have in all my classes. She's out there and she's doing and, and whatever. Give her lessons. Give mm -hmm. her music lessons. Give her singing lessons. Give her dancing lessons. Whatever. My mother did. My father used to say, God damn it, why you wasting money? She's <laughs> lazy. She don't work. She don't <laughs> like. And he was right. I don't like the work, but I love performing. Right. You know, right. that kind of thing. I'm sure yes. you're the, somewhat the same. So, totally. <laughs> Who wants to rehearse? Aren't we all? Aren't we all right? <laughs> so she um, gave me the lessons, and my mom knew nothing about show business when it came to theater. Right. In New York, not that far away from Montreal. But... I was in church plays and, and sang in the choir and did that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. and But she knew movies, and she thought that I was Lithuania's answer to Shirley Temple. <laughs> and so I like that on the she billing. made sure that when we could, we moved to a warm climate, and the warm climate was not Florida. It was California, because that's yeah. where the movies were made. Right. So I'm very grateful to Mrs. Jackson. I'm very grateful to my mom. And I'm grateful to, for my dad, too, because he paid for a hell of a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, for giving me the lessons to do whatever I had to learn. Well, luckily, 
made it big. I'm curious, again, when you're on these, because, you know, that's my fantasy. In the early 90s, I got a little taste of being in a movie and they would send you to Europe for a promotion or Spain or that's all gone. <laughs> it's all it's all gone. But I, I had a little bit of it, you know, I've, and I just was wondering again, now were you, you're traveling by train. Train, no, bus, plane, fl- plane. they are flying. Plane. And so what's that experience well, like? Well, this wasn't Pony Express time, dear. <laughs> it's, you know, what's the MGM, and are they, is it like we imagine where they're, you know, planting stories of romances and, you know. All, Some of that existed. All because of that glamour. I didn't, um, I really didn't date actors. I don't know why. I I went out a couple of times uh, with actors, but mostly it was set up so that there would be a photo play, mm-hmm. which was a great Hollywood uh, publicity magazine, you know. It was about the movies. Mm-hmm. And um, so I I did date a couple of times, but nothing, you know, there was never any romance, even though it was built to be uh, right. an up-and-coming romance. But that was all just to make space. I always liked um, businessmen better. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you were smart. <laughs> I, I I think I was. I think I was, and because I, you know, I always said I want one marriage, ten Oscars. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't got an Oscar, but I do have one marriage, and boy, it's been a long one. And I, I I'm going to share something with you now. I'm going through kind of a really tough siege in my life for me, because I I don't know what illnesses are, and and I don't put up with them very much. It's always get up and do it, you mm-hmm. know take an aspirin and go do it and my husband whom you met and yes. you know gorgeous guy yeah, tall lovely. lean you know he's like a cross between Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin he's somewhere in there you know and he had a stroke a couple of years ago which left him fine physically but out to lunch mentally oh I see and it's a very difficult thing I'm going through and I'm going to have to put something in the book which I'm completing now Mm -hmm. I have to rewrite certain things you know like about Debbie because now my best friend is gone right and um, and I want to put something in about living with dementia and Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. in your life because I think I think that people who will buy my book or buy anybody's book appreciate the celebrity that they have learned to either like or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, sharing some of the pain as well as the joy right and saying you know gee we we have something in common and what do you know that I don't know etc so I sort of feel like it might be of a little bit of benefit to put down that Mm-hmm. I'm going through a lot and learning a lot. Boy, am I learning about the one virtue God did not give me a lot of, patience. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you come from an era where people like Frank Sinatra were living their lives pretty publicly. I mean, you know, every little thing they did was mm-hmm. photographed or written about. It must have been very challenging. Well, I suppose it's still going on today, too, isn't it? I think so, but... I, it, to, I feel I think that again the end the expectation was there for the movie star really to share uh-huh. family photos and you know you had to let in I know my grandfather talks about you know when you're at MGM especially yes you had to 
go be out and go to various nightclubs. Of course, and be seen and, and yeah. all of that. Yeah, uh, I, I know what you're saying. Uh, I'm sort of thinking that um, the whole new generation of, in quotes, stars are not, oh, people might be wild about them, but they are not beloved Mm-hmm. the right. way the stars were of the former generation. And why is that? Because there were not 6,000 channels of entertainment on television. Mm-hmm. You grew up with somebody in your life right? and in your ken when it came to certain kinds of entertainment. And you knew about those people, and mm-hmm. they were nurtured and raised by the studios to be icons. Right. And we don't have that anymore. No, the also the idea as you were talking it reminded me of my mom who grew up in Queens and when we were talking about publicity tours and you know the idea that she could see Ginger Rogers up so close and say she had peach fuzz on her face and she remembered it for the rest of her life, you know, or Danny Kay or some of these people. Uh-huh. So that's what I think you mean. They have this personal relationship yes. with the star. And they also, they were dressed to the nines. They were you dressed know, to my the mom nines. talks about to this day the way Danny Kay, every time she talks about Danny Kay, the, with the little silk, you know, cravat. Yeah. Yes. And how stylish all the movie stars were, you know. Well, Which also, you are. but remember that, that we we lived with them for years. Yeah. And now you have big stars for, you know, three years, four right. years on television. And two years later, if they're not on the tube, you don't know who they are. Yes, mm. that's true. That's true. All right. So after you did um, The Seven Brides, were you ever signed at a studio or did you work freelance? How did I that work? I was signed at a studio for about 20 minutes mm-hmm. when I was all of maybe 12 or 13 years old. I took my drama lessons from an old retired actress, character actress named Laura Kaisley Brooks. And she had like maybe five or six students. All of them were adults. I was the only child that she had. And Laura Kaisley Brooks would put together an evening at like the Hollywood Studio Club mm-hmm. or or something or a hotel room that she would take and she would prepare her students to do a couple of scenes you know something light and comedic and and something dramatic blah mm-hmm. blah blah and then she would do little readings shows and she would ask different agents different talent scouts mm-hmm. uh different producers directors anybody she could wrangle to come in and see these students. Ivan Kahn was the head of talent at 20th Century Fox at that point. And he didn't come, but he sent his secretary. And she saw me do a scene, and I was one of those kids, like Natalie Wood or Margaret O'Brien, that could pull up tears <laughs> at the drop of a hat, you know, and do play a very dramatic oh. scene, which was unusual for a a young girl, you know, mm-hmm. 12, 13 years old at the time, just on the verge of becoming a, a mm-hmm. girl girl. And she was very impressed, and she went back to Ivan Khan, who had me come in. And on her advice, they signed me and for a screen test. 
I got assigned to a woman that if I ever run into her in hell or anywhere, <laughs> I will make her stay longer because her name was Helena Sorrell, and it's not good to speak ill of the dead, but of this bitch, I will. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And why? Because she took a stupid little girl that didn't know poop from Shinola mm -hmm. and said, learn this scene. And it would be something from 17 or whatever, very light, frothy stuff. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you're going to be impressed with me, you're going to be impressed with what Ivan Kahn saw in me when he looked at me and heard about me was that I might be the young Ann Baxter. Right. That kind of dramatic pizzazz, mm -hmm. you know. So I'd learn it and by heart, and I'd come back and, no, I don't really like that one. Let's do another one. Mm -hmm. She'd do something else. Finally, after about three months of this, she um, said, I'll write something for you. And she wrote me a piece of fluff. Well, of course, my folks didn't know any better. Laura Kaisley Brooks probably should have known better, but she wasn't invited into all this melange. Mm -hmm. And so we did this piece of fluff. I must say it was the first time that I had been in makeup and had eyelashes on. <laughs> well, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven when I saw how pretty I looked in spite of the crooked tooth, you know. <laughs> and uh, clearly I did not get signed because it was a piece of crap that I did. And who do I have to thank for that but Helena Sorrell. Uh, <laughs> Helena. You yeah. Are. The other one that was there was Marilyn Monroe's coach, Natasha Lytess. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd gotten Lytess. Yeah. Because she, I have a feeling that she, she Natasha, good Russian, she understands. Yes. <laughs> but, but Marilyn bounced around quite a bit, oh, yeah, too, until sure. she found Fox was her, wasn't that her yes. more permanent, yes. uh, you know, place. So how long after that was, uh, that you know, was it before then you got into... Um, you met Frank Sinatra then. Is this post Frank came a lot later. Mm -hmm. um, For that, witness, that's a whole fabulous story because I don't know if I ever said this, but your your audience will probably love hearing it. Um, Frank Sinatra was going to help out. Um, ooh, I can't think of her name right now, but she was the owner of the Mocambo, mm -hmm. which was one of the big three nightclubs anywhere in the world, I think. Ciro's uh, Mocambo and the Trocadero mm -hmm. uh, on Sunset Strip. And um, television, this was the early 50s, and television had taken over, or not the early 50s, the mid-50s going into the late 50s television was really taking over and nightclub business was going down the toilet because you know you had all this entertainment all these channels and the three mm -hmm. majors you know uh, with great entertainment who was going to go to nightclubs and spend that kind of money anymore so Frank said to the owner Mary Morrison that was her name uh, I'll come in and play for a week uh, Sammy will come in, Vic Damone will come in, Dean will come in, you know, we'll get everybody in mm -hmm. to play a week and see if we can't get the ball rolling and get some traction here. I was invited by a lovely man who was like America's host, Scotty Rubin from Chicago, a very big lawyer that loved pretty people around him and entertained beautifully, and he invited me along with a lot of other people 
to come to the opening of Frank Sinatra. Well, I was enchanted because I had never seen Frank Sinatra live, but this was when he was doing all the beautiful unrequited love songs, <gasps> Be Still My Heart, and, and the great swing along with me and, you know, the great albums. So I said, yes, I'd happily go. And Frank was working on a dais right out in front on the stage was filled with orchestra. Mm -hmm. And you know, nightclub stages are very small to start with, so it was filled with Frank's orchestra. And he was working on a little tiny hat box, practically, mm -hmm. in front of the stage, which meant that some of the audience was behind him. And if I'm here that some has are back there. Mm -hmm. I, of course, am so enthralled with him because you know and you know nobody was or ever will be like Fran Sinatra. I mean, he's just plain mesmerizing. Mm -hmm. And I sat there with my mouth hanging open watching him, my heart beating away to all of his music. And a note came to the table by one of the waiters who asked our host to bring me over to meet him. So I went over and my host said, this is Miss Lee. He said, Miss Lee, my name is, um, oh my God, I forgot the producer's name. I'll tell you in a minute. Koch? Uh, no, no, no. Ha, uh, Hornblow? Uh, Arthur Hornblow Jr. Yes, sir. Hornblow. Thank you. Arthur Hornblow Jr. And I am producing a film called Witness for the Prosecution. And I have just given you the most unique screen test I've ever done. I watched you watch Frank Sinatra, and I think you would be a very good love interest for Tyrone Power in my film. Will you come in and meet Billy Wilder in the morning? Well, Billy Wilder was God. And I said, is, is tomorrow too soon? <laughs> and so I went in to meet Billy Wilder, and they put me on camera. Marlena Dietrich took one look at my blonde head and said, Nick, nine, forget it. <laughs> I became a brunette overnight, and that's how I got to be the ingenue, mm -hmm. the soubrette, <laughs> in Witness for the Prosecution. Okay. Fade out, fade in. It's, what, three, four years later. We all know that Frank loved nothing more than staying home for a big Italian dinner and screening a new movie. And Howard Koch was his partner then right. in the film setup that they had. And what do they screen that night but witness for the prosecution? And Frank said to Howie Koch, whom I loved, you know, I've been watching this uh, little Rudalee chick on television a lot. <laughs> uh, what do you think we put her in one of our upcoming films? Howie said, you couldn't have picked a better choice. That's how I became the late leading lady to Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis, Peter Lawford, the Crosby Boys. Yes. In Sergeant's Three. Perfect. Now, so. you want to talk about gorgeous serendipity? Right place at the right time. Isn't that something? So, Witness for Prostitution, did they shoot here or in London? They we rebuilt Old Bailey to oh scale. Goodness. Okay. On not to scale to three quarter scale, right? On two sound stages at Goldwyn Studios. And where was Goldwyn Studios? Just so we know, on Formosa. You know where the Formosa yes. Cafe is okay. across the street. I believe it's now called the Lot. We, yes. we always mm -hmm. my show is yes. such deep cuts. I always people love to. I love to visit. These oh yeah, places. So that is the former Goldwyn Studios. But place. I have something very funny that I think you and your audience will love. When I came into the 
the the picture. It mm -hmm. was about um, maybe four weeks after they had already started filming before mm -hmm. I was needed. And Grady Hunt, who did all of my costumes from then on, had made this wonderful little tight gray dress, you know, with Fanny and everything out mm -hmm. perky, and a perky <laughs> little hat and a fur wrap and the whole thing. And in makeup, the guys, who were very protective, I just love our makeup people, said, listen, Ruta, Charles Lawton is very important in this film, but he's a nasty old faggot. He doesn't <laughs> like young girls. Okay. He's going to give you a bad time, so you just do your work and don't worry. So I went in with a little bit of fear and trepidation and, and everybody's sitting about in a British tea circle and no, no one's paying attention to me. For the first time in my life, I wish the floor would open up and swallow me. All of a sudden, someone comes along and hits me on the rear end and I go flying across the room and I turn around and it's Charles Lawton. He says, that's the best damned ass I've seen in a long time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and he became my best friend. And he'd pout if I didn't come in oh. to the studio and say hello to him before anybody else. Mm -hmm. And he taught me per quacky and all kinds of games. And he and his darling wife, Elsa Lanchester, are the ones that sort of helped me keep that middle English accent. Mm -hmm. Because very high tone English is right. quite easy to do. Limey is a little more easy to do. But that Middle English is something right. else, and they were very, very helpful with it, which I appreciate to this day. Well, it's such a wonderful film, and uh, it was based on... Had you seen the play? It was extremely I successful. I had not. I know it was a very successful play. I had worked with the leading lady, whose name I, I'll call you at 2 in the morning and tell you. <laughs> okay. I had worked with her on, oh, I don't know, some television show or other, you know. Uh, on Perry Mason, I think, mm -hmm. and and I know that she was a brilliant Marion Seldes. Oh yes, Marion Seldes. Yeah, long dark hair yes. like yours. I remember her. Big eyes like yours. Yes, she was a friend of my grandfather's. Ah, I don't doubt it because yeah. she's a wonderful actress. But I had not seen the play. But mm -hmm. uh, they made us all do a publicity thing of where we s signed a non-disclosure of the ending. Right. You know, so because to, and, yeah. and they wouldn't seat people at the movie. At, until the movie mm -hmm. was over because they didn't want the, the yeah. ending to be So shown. working with the great Billy Wilder, <gasps> I mean, that must have been quite a thrill. I think that Billy Wilder was and remains in my mind the funniest man I've ever known in my life. Mm -hmm. He should have been a stand-up comic. He saw everything through laugh-filled eyes. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he was doing a very serious play here. Right. But he found humor where he could that was so lovely, you know, for Charles and oh, for Elsa. Oh, a little bit with the monocle. It, wasn't and that something? And and I just loved him. But he was uh, so good. He would say to Marlena Dietrich, you know, he literally read the line to her. He wouldn't read it to her, the words. Mm -hmm. But he would say, Marlena, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. Come on. Da, 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 da. And she would, I guess he wanted to change her right, the delivery emphasis, right. a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and she would get very kind of quiet and monotone. And, and if she didn't do it right, he'd say to her, Marlena, watch out, I'm going to make a lampshade out of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> so you see, he had this wild sense of humor. Yes. Nothing was sacred. And oh God, I love that. Well, you approach uh, your all your work with a tremendous, which I love. I do that too. A tremendous amount of energy. Mm-hmm. And so, what would be some of the direction that he would give you? Would it would it be tone it down, make it faster? That he gave me very little direction. He just said, "Do your thing," mm-hmm. and I guess he was satisfied with what I was doing. Do you like a lot of direction? Do you like to no, just frankly, do, yeah. And now, when I stop and think about it, the one time I remember getting what I thought was overbearing direction. Right. Um, I sort of said, oh, please, this is so boring already. You know, let's just <laughs> get the turkey on the table and go. Um, but um, I find that um, maybe it's an innate quality that, that we both have about yeah. bring it to the the stage or the table or to the reading. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't right, somebody will tell you something. If it's on track, they'll, they'll leave you alone and let you do what you have to do. Right. And uh, well, when you saw the finished product, you must have been thrilled. I'm never thrilled when I see myself. Oh, really? You're not? Oh. The only time that I was thrilled that I can remember was in a Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. That remains one of my favorite shows. Yes, because I got to play a real tart. Yeah, and, which and is currently I checked. It's on. You can watch it on oh, Amazon yeah. Prime. It. Uh, uh, she. <laughs> she was such fun. Such a little bitch. And there's so much more fun to play than the Goody Two Shoes girls. You know? Yes, that's true. And uh, and I I loved her. And I liked the way I looked. And I liked the way it came off. And I liked everything about it I thought it was wonderful was there uh, I love Tyrone Power he always seems very mysterious to me and he died so young was he because that's a complex role that he has in the movie was he somebody that sort of stayed to himself he doesn't come off as a gregarious type person well he he was always about you know having tea or coffee or or something with people when they weren't shooting um but if if they if he wasn't going to be in the scene he wasn't on the set he wasn't mixing and mingling and having laughs he was away but he was very very kind and very sweet with me couldn't have been nicer mm. i had told him somewhere down the long line that i regretted having grown up in montreal canada you had to be 16 to go to the movies mm-hmm. so the only thing that i saw was when in verdun the small town that we lived in um, they let kids go for a while. I saw Passage to Marseille, I think, ten times. I went to the movies with a sandwich and milk and came <laughs> home at night, you know, one of those things. Yes. Uh, and maybe Bambi I saw, but that was about it. So I never got to see his most prominent film then, right. which was Blood and Sand. Mm-hmm. And do you know that that sweet man took a room at Rogers and Cowan, who were his publicists, and had a screening of it. Wow. For me. Amazing. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? So I never forgot that. Was he as good looking in person as he seemed on screen? I mean, he seems to have, again, like a glow about him. Yeah, he was. Absolutely gorgeous. Very, very heavy body odor. Really? Okay. Now, isn't that a piece of information? Yes. But, you know, there are some people that are built like that. 
that uh, I yeah. think have to shower every five minutes, you know. <laughs> Isn't that a, an amazing thing that I just told you? I yes. shouldn't have said that. No, that's oh, okay. Oh, what the hell. It's okay. He's, it's it's real. Now I'm going to think of Nightmare Alley oh. even, even yes. crazier. Oh, my God, that was so wonderful. I know. <gasps> that's my, I think that's my favorite. Oh. Well, combined with, I do like the razor's edge quite a bit. Wow. Too. I mean, so many things. I So wonderful. Okay, so let's get to, I've got to get to the uh, to Frank Sinatra and okay. Sergeant's Three. So first of all, just so I can imagine, what's it like to be at a party? <laughs> you know, when you talk about, you see, you say it, oh, we like, and you know Frank likes to have pasta. It's like, no, we don't know. I mean, what's, <laughs> it's just, I've seen photographs. And I'm I'm dying to know, you know, what's on the record player? Does he does he play his own music? Is he playing Sammy? Is he playing Tony Bennett? I mean, who's invited? Is Angie there? Who's there? Well, let's see. I mean, all those people were there yeah. <laughs> that you mentioned. Um, I didn't do too many party parties with mm-hmm. him. I went to have dinner with him a lot mm-hmm. by myself. Now you'd think, well, hell something's going on there I'm sorry and I regret terribly <laughs> that I never had an affair with Frank Sinatra <laughs> just think of what I could have written about it. I mean we've been hearing <laughs> <laughs> see there was, that would have been a whole chapter yeah. um, but but I, I went and I, I listened to him and I, I found out that he never got over Ava Gardner mm-hmm. and he would talk about that we were politically very much on the same page. He had become, from being a very big liberal, had become very much a conservative. And so he knew my story and what was going on with my family and what, mm-hmm. had, what had happened, you know. Uh, so he entertained a lot of the White House people, either in Palm Springs or at the house here, and I'd be invited. Uh, that was always very, very nice. I'd see him a lot in Palm Springs. I'd go mm-hmm. to the compound and have dinner, and there was always somebody around. And sometimes there wasn't. Sometimes it was just the help, you know, or, right? Or his dresser or hair guy would come in and sit down with us. But it was it was really really lovely, and he was um, I think terribly terribly hurt when he got his compound ready for right JFK's visit, and he at the last minute didn't come and Mm -hmm. was given Bing Crosby's house instead and I think that just killed Frank who had done so much to get him elected yeah I wrote got him a song and everything wow a little jingle yeah so I, I I think that 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 was probably one of the most hurtful things that ever happened to him other than Ava (laughs) <laughs> Didn't they stay in touch though? Or Ava? Yeah. Absolutely. And- oh yes, oh yes. But he told a story that just broke my heart. He talked about he was down and out and not doing at all well. Mm-hmm. His career had been floundering, and this was while Ava was now over in Africa doing Mogambo, and Christmas was coming up. And so Frank went, and we talked about this because he he knew I was from Montreal, and he had played a nightclub there, the name of which I don't remember now many times, and the guy there loaned him like 10,000 bucks or something, Mm -hmm. gave him the money, said, here, 
go do buy a ticket, go to Europe. You know, things were cheaper then, <laughs> and and so he went out and bought stuff that he could take to Africa. Got there, then took a puddle jumper, you know, over the mountains and over the snow into mm -hmm. wherever they were shooting. And he brought a little itty bitty Christmas tree that had been decorated, and he brought gifts for everybody. And he said that Ava sort of went, oh, hi, Frank. I have to go shoot now. Oh. And he didn't stay very long. He turned around and left, totally heartbroken. Wow. And I just think an icon like Frank Sinatra that has had affairs with every living human being except me, I think, <laughs> um, was heartbroken. Yeah, and and was still willing to talk about her to little old me that didn't yeah. know anything. That's amazing. Well, he must have felt you were, you know, compassionate. Yeah, maybe. When you were shooting uh, the film, and you shot in Utah, Kanab, Utah. Wow, Little Hollywood. Did uh, now? We, yeah, and the director was John Sturgis. Now he was sort Poor of a guy. toughie, wasn't he? Well, he tried to be a oh. toughie. <laughs> Let's put it this way. There was not one single scene that was shot without everybody laughing. Uh-huh. It was that kind of it thing. He tried like it. very yeah. hard. He tried yeah. well, it's such a silly movie, you know, but it's okay. That's the fun of it. But um he he was lovely and he just had to put up with everybody doing what right. they did, you know. And uh gosh, he, he was a nice man and, and Kanab, Utah was absolutely beautiful. And of course, unfortunately, I got treated like everybody's kid sister or daughter, uh, and I would get sent home early. I mean, oh. Frank would have a plane load of hookers come up from <laughs> from Vegas, In you know. That sounds like a showgirls yeah. <laughs> from Vegas. From Vegas, uh, you know, he had planes coming and going all the time, oh, and uh, and then I after dinner. Yeah, and seeing the rushes or whatever, we'd be I'd be sent home, and it was Sammy's job to walk me home, make sure I got home right, <laughs> all in this big motel we were staying in, you know. Well, there's a lot of when you watch the movie, there's a, you know a lot of uh, two shots, and so you were you're working a lot with all of them, mm -hmm. you know, Peter Lawford, and so you're saying like they would basically only do one take and then crack well, up. Well, that's or... what Frank insisted on. Right, he would say. I don't care if it takes you a week to set this shot. Right. But I don't want to hear after I've given you rehearsal, or we all have, that, oh, gee, the light went out over there, or there was a creak in the uh, in the dolly track, mm -hmm. or there's something that went wrong. I don't want to hear that, people. Right. I'm paying you good money. Do it right, and let's just do this once, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. And that's how most of it went, which was rather amazing. So I'm sort of curious because, again, just I had the very, very tail end of this in the 90s. So, you know, when you're an actress in this movie, it's a huge starring part. But you're sent home to the hotel and you're hearing about, like, girls coming in planes. Like, was that ever, was that just an accepted thing? I got, again, the tail end of it. Like, we're going to send you home now. And, you know, there was a couple shoots that I was on out in Texas and mm. things where, again, I'm, I'm like... Well, usually the crew and everybody fools around and, you know, has drinks and yeah. gets disorderly and, and you get <sighs> bored with wherever you are and, and a cute young thing like you comes in, well, you're going to get 
I had a, I had a few door, door pounding. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I, I did. I never opened the door. <laughs> one time. My girlfriend, Barbara Stewart. You remember Miss Bunny on Gomer Pyle? Barbara Stewart. Yes. She was married yes. to Dick Gautier. And I had just bought a car, a new Eldorado convertible. Mm, and through a, a dealer in St. Louis that was really a friend of a friend who gave me such a deal, you know. Yeah. And so I said to Barbara, come on, we're going to go pick up my car. And we were driving back through Texas. And what do we run into at the motel that we're booked in but the company from HUD? So, of course, you've got Mr. Yeah. Blue Eyes himself, right. Paul Newman. Yes. And darling, um, oh, the young man. Uh, uh, Brendan DeWild. Yes. Yeah. And they're there. And, of course, we happen to check in. We're, we're standing, signing in, and... and uh, the leading lady. Um, Patricia Thank Neal. you. Patricia yes. Neal was there. Yep. And hello, hello, how are you? You know, so on and so forth. Uh, there's there's going to be a cocktail party in this room something or other later. Come on over. Well, we shouldn't have because we were new blood, you know, and they'd already been through all of the cuties in, in Amarillo or wherever the hell we were. And uh, so Barbara and I sort of said, we're we're going to leave now, and we escaped. Well, who comes knocking at the door? And it was one of those, thank God, motels that had the back door where you parked the car and the front door that faced the pool and all the goings-on. Yes. <laughs> and at the front door and window is Paul Newman, slightly drunken, disorderly, and Brandon DeWilda. And they're knocking and saying, come on, we're going to open the screen and come through. And, you know, they had big windows. And we think, oh, geez. So Barbara and I, in our nightgowns, got into our sandals and whatnot and went out the back door to the car and left. Uh, Found, you know, a drive-in or something where we could have coffee in the car. And when we came back, they had settled down. Wow. No problem. That is so funny. In the morning, we're about to leave. Yeah. And both of them come to us and knock on the door. And we open the door, and they're both standing there with wild flowers that they've picked <laughs> in their hands, saying, we came to apologize for last <laughs> night. I thought, this kind of apology from Paul Newman, I'll take any time. Oh, that's amazing. Now, didn't you leave? You left once, too, also to go uh, to Vegas to watch Frank perform. And he brought one of his guests was Marilyn Monroe at the... Oh, during we, shooting, we were doing. Um, when the the deal was that the guys, each one of the guys, was playing the sands together as the not rat. together. Oh, separately. one at a time. Okay. And so we would go for Frank's opening, and then we'd right. go for Frank's closing. Right. Then we'd go for Dean's opening and mm-hmm. Dean's closing, all the way through. But during the entire run of all of this, uh, Frank threw a hell of a birthday party for. Dean Martin, and that was the night when all five of them got up on the, wow. the stage and worked. And I have to tell you, there I sat. I didn't know that I was going to a fancy do thing, so I had a little cotton dress, sort of like what you have mm-hmm. on a darling dress. But that was for, excuse me, Canab, Utah, where the only thing you could do was watch them give haircuts, you know, <laughs> on Saturday night. So I'm I'm in my cute little cotton dress. And across the way from me is Elizabeth Taylor, 
in her furs and her big emeralds and things. She's married to Eddie, at the time, Eddie Fisher. Mm -hmm. Next to me is John Wayne, uh, Milton Berle. I mean, this plethora of stars, right? And I'm, whoa, 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 I'm in tall cotton. Now, Elizabeth, let's face it, was at the height of her beauty then. She was just so gorgeous. But Frank walked in to the showroom with Marilyn Monroe on his arm. And there was not a spotlight on her. She mm. didn't need one. The woman glowed. Mm. She, of course, she was in spangly, white, tight-fitting thing with a big fox wrap <laughs> and her blonde, blonde hair and, and her glowing skin and beautiful eyes. And she put beautiful Elizabeth Taylor in another class altogether. When she came in, you know who else had that? The Gabors. Mm -hmm. All the Gabor sisters walked into a room and it was brighter. Wow. And that was Marilyn, and I thought, wow. Amazing. Now, when she uh, uh, sits down, and so she, was she with, with Sinatra at the oh, time? Yeah. Or, oh, so they Well, were. she was his date at the time. I don't I know that they were... A big romance. I, right. I think they were a quick roll in the hay a couple of times, you know. Yes. Uh, but uh, I know that he was very perturbed by her death and was very much involved with everything that was going on, and and uh, it well, was all a fiasco. And again, speaking of, uh, you know, again, mysteries and tragedies. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I once met Marlon Brando, and he said they, he blatantly said, oh, they killed her. No, I don't. Wow. Well, it's a little mysterious. I tend to agree, and let me tell you why. This is he kind knew of interesting. Her. You knew her. Oh, yeah. Um, I went out to dinner the night that she died with Sam Yorty, who was then mayor, had been for quite some time of Los Angeles, and his wife, and, and a group of us. I can't quite remember who or what or where. But he, at that time, carried one of those very large phones. Uh, that had to lie on the table. And whenever anybody of import came into the city, the police department would notify the mayor who's here, who's at this airport, who came in, who's there, whatever. And he got a call saying that Robert Kennedy had come in. Was that LAX? Fine. So he knows about it. Then... A few hours later, Robert Kennedy and party left back for San Francisco. That was the night she was dead. Now, I don't know who commandeered what. Right. But um, Freddie Otash, do you remember that name? I do not. He was with the police department for years, and then he became a private investigator and was the investigator to the stars. Mm -hmm. He worked for everybody. He worked for Frank. He worked for everybody. And um, he became a very good friend of mine. He lived between Los Angeles and um, Cannes, kept an apartment in Cannes, and we'd visit a lot whenever I was in Europe. And he said that what they didn't go for, or if they did, they didn't they didn't announce to the world, and that was that they felt that she had received a shot anally that nobody ever right. thought about. 
yeah, something strange, something mm-hmm. strange there. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And, uh, yeah. Well, we'll never really, you know, and and plus her diary and all of her things disappeared. There's a lot of swirling mystery. So much, you know, around around her. Obviously, she was troubled, but you oh, know, clearly, but still. yeah. But oh God, she was such a a pretty thing. And oh my God, when you read what uh, and hear from uh, Billy Wilder about how tough it was. To working with, with her. her, but but it was worth it. My God, what's interesting is when you look on IMDb, she's still. Do you know that she's the number one recognizable actress still? Still, number one. <laughs> of all time, wow, she's the number one recognizable actress. And how many years is it since she's dead? Many, many sixties. You know, since the nineteen early fifty-seven years. Wow, fifty-seven years. Yeah, I thank was you. Close. That's a lot. Um, I want to talk about so many of your, my God, doing two th- over all these 2,000 episodes of television. And you mentioned The Twilight Zone. Um, also doing Perry Mason. You know, we used to have, people used to say, they still sort of say at the 20 minute, the, um, uh, the uh, your Perry, Mo- Perry Mason moment, you know, where he comes in. Were those fun to shoot? Sure. We, yeah, we, it was fun. And you know, it was really fun and, and quite amazing is that the producer of the show um, oh me and names this is this is when I know I'm getting senile no you're doing because I love her so well and I'll, I'll think of it in a minute okay she was a major um, star in in the 30s and into the 40s okay. and she produced the show uh, and I'll think of it in a minute anyway she was a beautiful woman and she taught me something that I think is so important. Is this Gail Patrick? Thank you. Gail Patrick Jackson. Thank you, thank you. You got it. Beautiful woman. Was not afraid to have young, maybe cuter, certainly younger actresses around her and her husband and the people that she liked. Mm -hmm. She would invite me as a guest to come to a dinner party that she was having. And you'd think, ooh, producer lady, you know, that you, you have to be careful because they right. might not like you. And that taught me something so important, and that is never be afraid of young talent around you. Help them along the way. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to get in your way, you know. Uh, you're only going to impede their way. Right. So don't do that. And uh, I always loved that about her. And I felt like it was almost like going to drama school doing Perry Mason because I got to play so many different characters. I think I did six or eight of them. Wow. And each one was a different person. Right. And a different character that I got to play. And I just loved her for hiring me so often. And, of course, Barbara Hale became a good friend. Uh-huh. And uh, I spoke at her funeral not too long ago, what a year ago, I guess. Ah, the and where did they? What studio did they shoot Perry Mason? Do you remember? It was over off of Western. Okay. In oh, okay. Hollywood. Okay. I can't remember what it was called. All right. There's but so many, but I remember but that it was at that end of that Hollywood, end. the east end of Hollywood. I uh-huh. see. Um, and ha- do you remember how long they would take to shoot? Were they? They were all filmed. They were, they, that was film, yeah, not not four cameras. It was filmed, and I think they took about a week to shoot. Yeah, 
I mean, very cinematic. They yeah. still, yeah. you know, they still sort of hold up. Did you have others that, and you did many, many Westerns. Oh, my Lord, yes, and I miss the Westerns. Yes. Mm. Have you seen the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Not yet. Okay, I well, there's an extended I, oh, fun sequence in, which takes place on uh, Lancer, oh, which would have been a yes, show in the yes, 60s. yes, yes. But it's super, super fun. I loved the Westerns, and I'm so grateful to the the guys, the wranglers, mm-hmm. that wrangled the horses and the sheep and the cows and the goats and the whatever. Yeah. They taught me how to ride. I mean, I said, yeah, I ride. Sure, I rode. You know, I, I mean, I could barely get my foot in the stirrup. The horse was up here, and I'm 5'3". <laughs> uh but they also taught me uh, how to handle guns. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I am a gun person. I like six shooters and, and Colts and, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff. Don't mess stuff. with Ruta. Yeah, don't mess with me. No, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but they taught me to respect uh, a gun and uh, to yes. respect handling it and not be foolish with anything, you know. You know who was fabulous with guns and twirling and quick draw was Sammy. Oh yes, Sammy right. Davis loved it, and it really ticked me off because my gun belt fit him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not exactly huge, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, he was tiny, very, very tiny. Uh, I have to mention very briefly because we're running out of time. The film no, <laughs> that I know. Wait, you can come back anytime. Okay. <laughs> the the film that you did, which I think is a classic, not too many people know about it, but it's Funny Bones. Oh yes, but that, that was sort of a. I in speaking to Mr. Lewis about it, I don't think he he doesn't have the fondest memories of it. I think he's wrong. I love the movie. I did too, Oliver Platt. And and you know, yeah. yes, he played uh, Oliver Platt played my son, my and it's Jerry very Lewis's funny son. Movie. And and there was a, a very sweet scene that I like in that very much where we go to see him perform and he's bombing terribly. And, yeah. Oh, it's awful. But Jerry and I had a wonderful time. Yeah. Because we just got together in his trailer of mine between shots all the time. And this was all shot in England. Yes. Except for some scenes that were shot in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. which we had to do. And I can't remember the principal's names now, but... There was the big switchover going on at Disney at the time, mm-hmm. and they didn't put any money into promoting right. this that became like a cult, yeah, iconic it. film, yeah, Funny Bones, which is it really is very I love funny. This movie. I mention it all the time. Oh, good. Oh, I love that. Oh, what a great shot! It's so weird and uh, very funny, dark, beautifully shot. Uh, I'm a big fan of the of the film Funny Bones. I, I was the... I was thrilled to be in it, and it was such fun to be. Not that I have ever worked. Well, I have worked with Jerry and on, on his television stuff, but yes, but I had not done a movie ever with him. Mm-hmm. Never forgive him for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this this was fun to be together, and picture. and just being there was just yes. fabulous fun. I want you to tell the story, of course, which is so great about uh, your is it your grandmother getting mm. your grandmother. It's a very long story. All right, well, I think we're going to run out of time. We're going to run out of time. Well, it'll be in your book. Uh, it will be in my book, but I okay. think that the story of getting my grandmother out of Siberia, mm-hmm. where she was deported, along with my grandfather, whose legs were frozen 
on the cattle car that they were being deported on to Siberia. Six weeks in a cattle car. Can you imagine? No. And, <laughs> and his legs were frozen, and when they took off his boots, the flesh came up with it. He died from gangrene. And somebody, when I went to the Soviet Union, I said, somebody explain to me mm-hmm. why these little farm people that didn't have a pot in which to pee right. were sent to Siberia. And the only thing I can figure out is that the Soviet authorities were trying to repatriate with Russians mm-hmm. those people that were born, raised, married there, and had families there. And so Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, Czechoslovakia all got Russians coming in. Oops, right. Excuse me. And and they got sent to Siberia. Why? Why? They weren't elitist. They yeah. weren't educators. They weren't authors. They weren't anything. They were yeah. little farm folk, you know. Very strange. And... Um, Anyway, I think it deserves a, a, a book on its own, and it really deserves to be a movie. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll hopefully that'll be in your book. Uh, okay, last couple you've been doing you've done a lot of musicals. Oh also. Yes. Do you have your own? Because we performed together on when we did our little variety show on the cruise. But do you have your own show that you travel around and do? Or I could tell stories. I did. And... Yeah, I, I've I've played a couple of places. You know, private uh, clubs mm-hmm. and. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and yeah. it's a lot of very expensive money mm-hmm. to put into something that you're never sure you're going to get any of it back. Right. You know, to put an act together is exceedingly expensive. To get mm-hmm. the music written and put together, to get your, your arrangements done, to mm-hmm. get your jokes and, and patter going is, is very, you know, difficult. Mm-hmm. But I, I have played a couple of times, and I do. But I do a lot of funerals. you're you're big at funerals yes my my darling friend gary damsker died and and i'm going to his funeral this week and so i'll sing at his funeral how do you react to that is that just you just have to is it just a part of show business listen it's not show business it's a part of life dying is a part of life right it's the end of it and so just accept that it comes to all of us Yes, and and I don't get all crazy emotional about stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I mean, I have my sad moments because I miss my friend, right? But but I don't go into spasms and screaming and tears. Mm-hmm. Not worth it. Uh, I'm curious too, just because I wasn't there. When you talk about the most talented people in show business, uh, people always reference Ethel Merman, Zero Mostel, Sammy Davis Jr. Do you have a who do you think was the greatest performer of all time? By performer, that's an all-encompassing word. I know it's and almost it takes impossible, in a lot of things. But I, in some ways, I absolutely adored because she could do almost anything. Lucille Ball, mm-hmm. and I like the fact that a pretty woman, yeah, was a comedian. On the other hand. One of the ugliest women in the world, and my best friend, but she became beautiful because she said, I'm going to die beautiful, was Phyllis Diller. Oh. And I appreciated what she did. Yes. You know, she could just get out there and go, dung, 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 yeah. dung, rapid fire, and you'd never stop laughing. You you were ready to pee your pants. It was so wonderful. You yeah. Know? She was ahead of her time. Nobody really has replaced Phyllis Diller. No. Uh, just that kind of persona. No. 
No. Well, and nobody's ever going to replace Frank either, you know. Well, no one's ever going to replace Ruta Lee. Oh! <laughs> well, I hope not for a while anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ruta, I, please come back when your book is out. I will. We promise. promise you heard it all. She said come back. <laughs> you have to come back. Uh, I adore you. Uh, you're just, you're just, uh, you can't help but smile when you're, you know, you thank just, you. You light up a room. Thank you. Really, you. That's a very kind thing to you say. Really and, do. Uh, I just want to thank you and all your viewers and listeners for the opportunity of visiting with you wherever you are in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your bathroom. If you're rich, <laughs> you've got a TV in there. Uh, I'm so pleased to be a part of your life, and I'm so glad oh, to have you. you in mind. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much, Ruta. Thank Gosh, you. Gosh, what a pleasure. I have to echo what Ileana said. It's funny. I'm just sitting here as a producer, but also just as such a fan of this show and just having you here. So thank you so much. And that comes from a very handsome young dude. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. can't possibly know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, guys, we had Ruta Lee in today, of course. We will bring you back when your book is coming thank out. You. But make sure you stay tuned for that. And also for fans of the podcast, who are in L.A. This Sunday we'll be at the Alex Theater in Glendale doing Ooh. a live podcast Ooh. with um, Bella Lugosi Jr. Oh. and Boris Karloff's daughter, Sarah, Sarah Karloff. So. How wonderful. And watching yes. uh, The Vampire Bat and The Old Dark House. Yes. Wow, what so, perfect timing. I, I can't wait for that. Yeah, so, so definitely make your way. You'll get to meet Ileana. We'll be selling books there as well. Yes. And um, we're just really excited. A lot of amazing guests coming down the pike for rest of the year so we're yes. really looking forward to it we're looking forward to it thanks everyone for listening as I always say everyone's life is a movie with a beginning a middle and an end today was pretty much a musical comedy so <laughs> thank you so much for listening have a great day everyone so long from producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro and the entire Popcorn Talk Network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.